0: All right. Well, it's good to see everybody. Uh, as you can see from the background, there is a, um, you know, what is what is it we're going to talk about? So again, last week we were in Exodus uh, chapter three uh, for the fifth kind of chapter of what you know, chapter every Christian should know. And again, this is this is getting tough to to nail down and to limit, you know. So we're at number six. So I'm I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to actually pick a couple chapters, but. There were no chapters, you know, when, uh, when this was written. It was all in a scroll. Um, and so uh, last week when we looked at the life of Moses, and we're still in the life of Moses, um, we looked at Exodus 3. And really in Exodus 3, we saw how the Lord um, decided to use uh, uh, an inadequate man, or at least somebody who thought himself inadequate, Uh, To accomplish something that was way beyond his means, Um, nothing that he could uh, do um, on his own accord, and something that he couldn't, you know, tackle on his own. Um, So uh, instead of doing kind of an intro and and asking a question, although you can kind of mentally think about this, um, has there ever been a time when you left a situation uh, where it was kind of this big goodbye? It was either you know you left a job and they had this big end of the year celebration. You moved from a town, and uh you know there was this large gathering um, you know I, when I think about my own life, most of the times when I've moved from place to place, it's just kind of been like, "Well, I guess get in the truck and move on um, But for some, if you've ever kind of thought back onto a time that you've left a place, um, if there was any sort of large goodbye, uh I bet it was something that was special and hopefully memorable to you um you know as i think even for college you know college students but particularly high school students you know as this is their last year and now things have really changed especially at the end of of the year for them um where all of the big things that they're going to do to kind of close out their high school careers um you know have have now shifted have now i guess in a sense been taken away and so uh You know, for some, you know, there what they thought was going to be a big moment um, might turn out to be just something different. But here, what we're going to look at in Exodus chapter twelve, really twelve through fourteen, is a big moment in the life of the nation of Israel. You know, when we look at Israel, it started with one man. It was a man named Jacob uh, who wrestled with God. And God renamed him Israel um, and said, that's what your name will be. He had uh, 70 descendants or really family members, 12 12, uh, sons and their children and other people with them. 70 of them went into Egypt when when there was a famine in the land. And then again, we fast forward and we see where uh, events are from here. And so when we left Exodus chapter three, God said, I'm going to do this big, miraculous work in Egypt. Uh, you're going to actually ask the Egyptians for, <laughs> for money, uh, for clothing, and they're going to give it to you. And then they're going to, you know, you're going to go and you know, tell Pharaoh Moses that we're going to leave and uh, he, won't, he won't do it at first. I'm going to have to do some big things, but um, you're going to actually lead the people to this land that I promised your forefather, Abraham. And so from Exodus 4 through 11, and I hate to kind of skip um, the plagues, which are really fun to go through, but there were, there were 10 plagues. And so far from 4 through 11, there are nine plagues. You know, at this point, I could ask you guys, you know, trivia. Maybe uh, if you guys want to use your little chat feature, you can uh, see how many plagues that you know off to the side, and then uh, I can fill you guys in if you want to have a little bit of uh, um, interaction. But um, we've got uh, in in these plagues, they are really addressing um, things that were under a con- portion of control of one of the gods of um, Egypt. You know, Egypt worship many gods one of their gods being pharaoh himself and even the temple uh, the temples of the pyramids um kind of attest to the idea that when pharaoh dies that he will relive um as a god uh, after um after his death so he actually never really truly dies um and so what's the whole point of all of these things you know god said i'm i'm gonna You know, Pharaoh's going to resist, but I'm going to do these things. And we even know later on when we read uh, the New Testament that God had um, appointed these things to happen um, for a particular reason. That God, you know, had hardened Pharaoh's heart to really show his sovereignty over Pharaoh. But why have all the plagues? Why do that? Why harden Pharaoh's heart? Um, We actually find that out a little bit later. Uh, But in short, it's so... That everyone knows that the God of the Israelites is no one to trifle with, right? They they are leaving Egypt and they are going to a new um, land, and that land is already inhabited, inhabited by numerous nations. That uh, you know that God will continually go over the land of the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Amorites, and all these things that they, they keep repeating, like people are already there, and so when they go there then there will be this event or something that has happened that will let the people know that um, their God is a God that is the chief God of all gods. And so before the last plague is given, this is where we are in, in Exodus chapter 12, is that Yahweh, remember that's the name of the Lord that he gave to Moses, right, meaning I am, so Yahweh, the Lord, tells Moses and Aaron, you know, what he's about to do and what he's about to do is worth commemorating. It's really interesting that for all the other plagues, he just says, you know, this is what's this is what's going to happen. And then it happens Um, for this one. He says what's going to happen in chapter 11. But then he says, and before it happens, I want you to remember this and commemorate this going forward. So we're going to go through this a lot of verses, but um, we're going to just hit the highlights and uh, hopefully ones that are uh, particularly impactful for us. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 12, we read, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for our household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, Then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can uh, eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, and you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. <clears throat> so <clears throat> that's a lot, kind of uh, a lot of detail that we see um, that's here in in the in this particular portion of scripture. But super fitting, um, especially the time of year that we're looking at, and especially this week and what's coming up um, with Easter next weekend. <clears throat> so, what is it? First, first question I'm going to ask is, is: what does it show? What does it really indicate? Um, that this month, that you know God is saying that this month that we 're in is going to be the beginning of months, so again, you can either hit your space bar or unmute yourself, but uh, someone want to want to try to answer that question, so again, what does it show that this month is the beginning of months, meaning you know is it is it something special that We're starting with this time now that God indicates is the beginning of your calendar for you.
1: I think it's showing that
0: the beginning of the nation of Israel is tied with the Passover. That it's that significant of an event he doesn't want their identity to not be associated with Passover feast. Okay. And, and up to this point, that's great. Thank you. Um, up to this point, right. The, uh, the calendar that they would be under the timetable that would be under really wasn't their own. It was under the Egyptian timetable or the Egyptian calendar. And so what we see is even God like says, you know, I want you to go out. You're going to have now your, your own calendar, your own way of, indicating what things are, um, and it's going to be this month. This is going to be your start, your beginning. And so really, what I look at when I see Exodus 12 through 14 is really the birth of a nation. And there's so many images that we see uh, that are connected with this, and we won't get through it today, and maybe we'll get to it um, next time we meet uh, with chapter 14 and what that looks like as far as being a birth um, of this nation. But it's the beginning for them. The month is Abib, uh, which means to bloom or to meadow. It's when uh, grain is kind of starting to shoot up out of the ground. Um, and it occurs in the spring, in March and April. So right now is the month of Abib. They would call it Nisan uh, after the Babylonian captivity. Again, side note, uh, they changed the name of the month. i um, not sure why, but that's what they refer to. So even now they refer to it as the month of Nisan. But it was uh, called Abib, and we'll even see that in the, the scripture in a second. So for Christians, right, for us, it correlates with the Passover because Jesus, right, had his meal, the Passover meal, and he was again, we'll get to this in a second, uh, part of this Passover symbol. And so similarly, Muslims celebrate this Exodus of Moses as well um, in a feast that they call Ashura. Uh, They don't celebrate it until August or September. So their calendars aren't synced up, but we follow kind of the Jewish calendar in this Passover celebration. So it's something that back then, why it was important, the time that we're looking at is applicable for us right now. And a lot of the imagery comes out of that. And so we see that they're going to keep it uh, for, they're going to start at this time and there's, kind of this meal that God kind of, again, spells out. When you have this feast, you're going to do this. And it's particularly the first night, this Passover meal, um, is something that God says, this is what you're going to do. It's really interesting that he he lists out all the things that he wants them to do when they remember. A lot of the things that come afterwards in the celebration are just not spoken of. Um, But this, particularly this first night is something that there's a lot of symbolism with. So, um, has anyone ever participated in or, or had, you know, I guess a a Seder meal? And sometimes it's, it's kind of what it's called, like kind of a Passover meal. So Charlie, you've, you've, I've seen, you've done that. Anyone else put, put your hand up. So, all right, good. The Smiths, the Borsches. Okay. So, um, yeah. And maybe some others who are off my screen, (laughs) uh, Dave and Gail, I see you guys. So, um, so when we uh when we see that um you know if you've ever participated there's a lot of different elements that are are kind of akin to having the seder meal some uh that the jews do now that aren't labeled in scripture i'll kind of go over a couple of those just interesting um but they have this tie in with this event right here so the first thing is to have a lamb without blemish a one-year-old male what what does this represent what does this represent just in general and then for the for for you know us as believers, um, we know what that represents, but what is a, a one year old male lamb without blemish? What's the significance of that? You guys are so kind in letting each other you know go first, you know, but just jump in it's it's okay. Well, it was a future representation of Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb. Okay, and so w- what do you think for the Jews before Jesus' um, Jesus' time, what do you think the lamb would have represented?
1: Perfect sacrifice.
0: Okay. Yeah, so, so really this, this young lamb, this innocent lamb that needed to be without spot or without blemish, so this kind of perfect, um, innocent sacrifice. And interestingly, you know, God says, I want you to get this lamb on the fourth, uh, the, the, sorry, the 10th day and have it really for four days before you slaughter it. Um, I kind of looked that up and thought, well, that's interesting. You know, and some of it is, um, you know, why have it within the household? And I think there's practical reasons, um, practical reasons in the sense of for some, that a, a person gets kind of um, familiar with the lamb and then has to sacrifice it. And so there is this, uh, you know, like an actual sacrifice, this this internal sacrifice, this kind of parting with this animal. Um, from a Jewish perspective, or, you know, I was looking, again, getting some information from kind of what, how Jews celebrate this, uh, is that um, that it would have been an act of, they see it as an act of courage, Uh, because the Egyptians actually revered lambs. And so to have a a lamb um, would have been something that they would have had in their house, would have might've offended the Egyptians. And then to sacrifice, it would have been something this last stand. But I think for us, when we see this as, as Christians, we know that it's that innocence, this uh, loved, um, uh, I'd say creature, which again, Jesus is this loved person who gave himself up for us on our behalf and that innocence that is seen that is foreshadowing jesus way off in the future that god says here in this moment before before you even leave egypt you're still slaves technically uh you haven't left at all but I, but i'm i'm marking this right now and something that you're going to do year after year as a remembrance and then later on aha that's jesus the uh, second is killed at twilight. So this is just kind of an interesting thing that between two evenings, is has a, that's referenced later, Moses would say that it's killed at sunset. And then Josephus, you know, a historian around the time of Jesus, would say that they sacrificed their lambs up until the temple was destroyed. After that, uh, Jews don't sacrifice a lamb anymore. But uh, that it was around three o'clock. Um, interestingly, that was when Jesus, right, uh, died on the cross. And so again, for us, knowing that imagery, we, we understand, wow, that that exactly happened at that time. Um, blood was put on the doorpost. So what, what does that indicate? That you take the blood of the lamb and you put it on the doorposts around your, your home. Uh, what, what, is some, what do you guys think that that indicates, that's a representation of?
1: Could it be a type and shadow of um, our salvation to come through Christ's shedding of His blood?
0: Yes, yes. Um, And so, Jesus's blood, just like the lamb of the uh, the lamb's blood, would be a symbol of faith, right? You know, the the Jews had to believe, right? So you want me to kill a lamb and then put the blood around the doorpost of my house? Um, so it was a symbol of faith in that this would actually work, but it was also a means of salvation that right when the angel of the Lord comes, we'll see that in a second or actually skip over that. But when the angel of the Lord comes it he'll over pass over the house and it was a means of salvation. And those that did not have the blood, it would be the wrath of God would be upon them. They wouldn't have that protection because they didn't have the faith in that blood. Uh, uh next is unleavened bread, that they are to have unleavened bread. What is what does unleavened bread indicate? And actually what is what is unleavened bread? And don't say bread that's not leavened. <laughs> it's
1: flat bread. It's bread without yeast.
0: Okay. So bread without yeast, and so why why eat unleavened bread? Phil?
1: Well, you know, yeast was uh, symbolic of sin because of its, you know, multiplying and affecting uh, effect on the on the flour and the dough. But uh, so it it symbolizes that you know Christ had no sin.
0: <clears throat> okay, yeah, definitely, definitely at that time. So if if we're reading ahead and thinking ahead, and Paul will use that idea of leaven. Um, the yeast, you know, when you put yeast into dough that you can't just separate yeast from dough, you know, if later you're like, oops, I put too much in. It's like when you throw too much salt and in, <laughs> in a, a mix and you're like, okay, this will just be a little salty or you try to double everything else to, to overshadow it. But you can't do that with right yeast. It, it starts to mix in with all the bread and then it has an effect where it makes it rise. That's why we get our bread that's fluffy. So if you don't have leaven, uh, in the bread. Uh, and it takes time to leaven. If anyone's ever made bread, it's got to sit out and rise. And that was the whole thing was that you don't have time. So don't put leaven in your bread and essentially it'll be flat bread. It'll be like a cracker. Um, and so it's, it's because this is going to all happen in haste. I want you to eat this bread without leaven. The Jews, it's interesting it's part of, you know, their celebration and even said that you have to, uh, get rid of leaven in their house. The Jews will still do that the day before the Passover. That's actually like spelled out is that they will remove all leaven. In scripture, it says that you'll be cut off from the assembly if you don't remove leaven from your house. And so they actually spend a day, actually they'll probably spend days before that trying to get rid of leaven. So anything, any pasta, um, any uh, cookies, uh, any cakes, any bread, um, anything that might have, you know, something that has yeast in it that has, that's been leavened, um, is something that they have to get rid of. Uh, it's interesting that even if you go on some sites, you can find, um, you can, it's, it's according to rabbinical tradition, you could sell, if you couldn't get rid of some leavened items in time, meaning by consuming them or giving them away, you can actually sell them to a, a non-Jew and then buy them back after the Passover. I feel like that's kind of a loophole, but there's even like some websites that you can like sell your stuff online. Um, so interesting in technological days. But that was one thing that that's that was part of, again, just think of like all that would go into just ridding your house of leavened, uh, you know, uh, foods. Um, that this was a preparation that went into that. And so, again, it was a representation of what they did. For us today, right, when uh, we have our um, Lord's Supper or communion, usually it is like a flat bread, uh, an unleavened bread, um, because that was the meal that Jesus uh, participated in. That pa- Last Supper was a Passover meal. And so, we will take part in that. Monthly or however long you know we're we're able to partake in that um, together. It's kind of an interesting side note. I wonder if we could do a, a at home uh, you know a Lord's Supper uh, together. Maybe that's something to to think about um, while we're away. Uh, next is bitter herbs. This is kind of one of the, one of the last elements. Bitter herbs. Does anyone know what that signifies? I'm going to take a guess. Okay. The bitterness of sin. I don't know. Or just the bitterness of the whole event. Okay. Um, yeah, you're, you're, you're pretty close. It's, it was, it's really to identify with the, the bitterness of slavery, of being in bondage. And again, for the Jew, it was, this is where we were. Don't forget about that. And this is where we are going. Uh, again, God has promised us something greater. And so bitter herbs. And then the last thing that, you know, you see actually a part of Jesus's, um, you know, the Last Supper is it's not commanded in scripture, but there was another thing added is that they, dra- dra- they drank four cups of wine or wine at different different parts. And so you see Jesus like passing the cup. And we, we you know, we um, celebrate that today when Jesus took the cup and, and we drink of his his blood. Um, but there was kind of an added element of drinking four, uh, four different cups of wine, not four cups together, but you pass four cups to the group. And uh, it was a celebration of freedom. So the bitterness of the herbs was to remind them of the bondage of slavery and drinking a wine was a celebration of, um, of freedom that God delivered them out of their bondage. <clears throat> okay, so we, if we see, so God says, I want you to do all these things that I don't want you to forget, and we'll get to that in a little bit, and I'm, I'm going to kind of go a little bit f- first. Uh, if you look at verse 12, what was this last plague for? You know, all the plagues, I mean, kind of led up to a purpose. Um, in verse 12, what do we see? We see that, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down the firstborn in the land of Egypt. That's what God is going to do. So he says, I want you to eat these things and do these things because this is what I'm going to do. <coughs> and I will, uh, strike down a firstborn, both man and beast. So all the animals lost their firstborn as well. Firstborn males. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And so, God is saying right here, like, what was the whole point of the plague? And really all the plagues is to show that there is judgment on all the gods, right? That Egypt worships, that every god that any other nation worships. Um, If Egypt was the most powerful nation at that time, and their gods were seen as uh, much inferior to the god of the Israelites, these slaves, when Israel goes into the land, their name will be known because of the events that happen. And so we see that, that this is why God is doing it. Why do you think that God strikes down the firstborn sons? It's kind of an interesting, interesting thing to think about. You know, Why this? Um, I didn't look and see on the chat. I can't for some reason see where that's at. Did you guys name all the... Uh, no. Anybody name all the uh... <laughs> anyway, name all the uh... no. the plagues, right? We we've see uh there's blood on the Nile, there's frogs, there's gnats, there's uh flies, livestock die, there's boils, there's hail, locusts come and consume all the crops, and then darkness covers the land. And this last one, we see that it's, it's now going after a particular, particular individual, a particular group as the firstborn sons. Why the firstborn sons?
1: I think it's, um, that's where the family line went through. I mean, that's my, that's my guess on that. I mean, and you're basically getting rid of the legacy of a false idolatrous nation. I mean, in other words, I mean, the other plagues were to show, I mean, like, they were basically, um, I'm superior to all the other gods of Egypt. I mean, because a lot of those things that that, uh, were were the other plagues were worshipped by the Egyptians, like the Nile, like the, you know, the frogs, and they were significant in their religion, darkness, they worshipped the sun, etc. But I think the firstborn, I mean, just my guess is that it's because that's the legacy of the idolatrous nation and God is rendering judgment upon it.
0: Yeah. And so essentially, exactly. I mean, we, we see the firstborn sons that if every firstborn son from Pharaoh. um, So right at the very top that you'll see that even the dynasty passing through that firstborn son is going to be interrupted um, all the way down to the slave, their firstborn son, that it would have a devastating effect, and that usually the firstborn son was the favorite son. You see that even in Jewish culture, that the firstborn son was to inherit a double portion. Uh, it was similar in other cultures. Usually, the firstborn son, being older, uh, was usually the stronger male in the household, depending on the age of of the son. And so, having the death to the firstborn son would be not only have a devastating effect, an eye opening effect. Um, but it would also uh, be something that would um, point to later on the firstborn son of, of God uh, being a sacrifice for everyone else, uh, being instead of those that would be saved. And so um, why, why, again, celebrate this annually, right? Why celebrate annually? I think the answer is obvious, is that I don't want you to forget. We we'll never forget what I'm about to do and never forget what has been done. It's interesting that there is more in scripture about the Exodus than about creation. If we think like, what is the greatest thing that God has ever done? Um, I think most of us would say probably, uh, you know, made everything, you know, out of nothing is definitely one of those uh, to sacrifice Jesus was something that from a personal standpoint would have been hard to do, um, you know, personally for God. Uh, But in all of those uh, events, um, the Exodus is something that also should not be, you know, minimized or even forgotten about. And a lot of that would, again, point to what God is doing, uh, not only for the Israelites, but also what he would do for us. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. And so when God tells, you know, repeats things about the Exodus, he's always telling the Israelites, don't forget what I did. Don't forget what I did. And usually it's because they were either in sin or erring or they're forgetting and they're not trusting. So don't forget what I've done with you in order to look ahead to what I'm going to do for you, especially as Israel goes on in their history uh, as we move forward, because there's a lot more that God is still going to do. He's going to bring them into the land and give them a land. Uh, they're not there yet, but he wants them not to forget those things. Um, so a different, different application from this, you know, we can stop and think, you know, uh, you know what, what rituals do we do or what rituals can we do uh, that involve, you know, our faith that, that God is telling us. I don't want you to ever forget this moment. Um, and we might circle back on that at the very end and uh, maybe break out again. You guys can kind of discuss that if, if you guys want. Um, and so we see that right at the beginning. Uh, I'm going to skip a little bit, you know, in, in verses 15 through 20. The Lord gives prescriptions on how, uh, the fe- how the feast is supposed to happen. What are they to do in celebrating the Passover for eight days, kind of bookended, first day is a holy day, the, the last day is a holy day. Um, for Jews today, they don't work on those days. They um, actually don't work. They don't. they don't even open electronic devices uh, those that are more um, I guess reformed in their thinking uh, or traditional in their thinking. Um, and then in the middle there is just you can't eat any leaven and uh, some other things that, that they do. Um, verses 21 through 23 Moses tells the elders you know what to do to prepare for the last plague and putting the, the blood on the doorpost. And you can read about that. Uh, skipping down to verse 24, Moses, uh, Moses says, you shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So what's, what's, again, one major reason why the people in Israel celebrate the Passover?
1: The question is, why do people, the, the Jewish people, celebrate the Passover?
0: Yeah, so there, there's kind of something that's, that's uh, you know, that is on the surface, but then even something that is, is uh, you know, even explicitly seen here, um, why they celebrate the Passover.
1: Right. Well, Hebrews tells us that all these things in Judaism are, are simply metaphors to point to Christ. Mm-hmm. And that it, it, this Egypt, slavery in Egypt is symbolic of or metaphoric of, uh, of slavery to sin. The deliverance is, you know, God taking us out of slavery to sin and giving us uh, eternal life and the the use of the, the firstborn, right? Everybody, every, basically everybody did lose their firstborn. But the Jews lost the 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 only begotten Son of God for the cross in, in that and that. So the idea is people people got to consider how precious their firstborn was, and we need to consider how precious the second person of the Godhead was to the Father, and He sacrificed Him on the cross for us.
0: Yes. Yeah, and so we see this greater symbolism that is kind of pointed to in the future. <clears throat> and so, you know, when God says here in verses 24 through 28, you know, I want you to do these things as, as a statute forever, right, that I want you to celebrate these things so then your son, your children will say to you, why do we do these things? You know, kids will often ask, like, what, why do we do this? Or what's the point of this? Or, you know, sometimes it's like reluctant, like, why do we have to? Um, but in, in, in a, in a quizzical way, you know, the, the children will ask, why do we do these things? And so it's, you know, he, he says, well, you shall then say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover because he spared us, right? When he struck the Egyptians down. And then even beyond that, that the children have that every generation would have that. So then when Jesus, the Passover lamb was there, it would be evident to them that we've been doing these things for for centuries and finally we get to see the fulfillment of the Passover right here in our midst unfortunately many Jews did not understand that or see that and uh, again that's uh, you know part of God's sovereignty and planning Um, in Jewish tradition it's interesting that again it's not uh, cited in scripture that they have a, a recitation of four questions that a child will ask the father why do we do these things? And there's four different aspects and I won't go over them. You can, you can look that up online and see what those four questions are. But the whole point is that even in the the um, meal uh, of Passover today that the Jews have these, why do we eat these things? Why do we do these things? Um, unfortunately they point back to just the time in Egypt, but we know that for those Jews that are even celebrating today, we could point to the fact that like Phil said, um, you know, the bitter herbs, you know, that did represent slavery back then, but it represents your own sin now and today. And so, um, so, you know, many of the celebrations that we have today are not just for us, although they are significant for us, but they're for others as well. And chiefly, one of the greatest groups that we get to evangelize to are our children. And so verse 29, we see at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. And then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up go out from among my people both you and the people of Israel and go serve the Lord as you have said take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone and bless me also so who is safe in Egypt the answer is is no one and if we just pause and think you know how devastating that effect would have been in the household how the the cries would have been you know all over the nation i mean we think about um, you know, the, the situation that we're even going through and how we're all kind of at home, um, and stuck and, and hopefully we're, we're kind of hoping this, you know, situation will pass over, will blow over, uh, in our regards, um, that, you know, the reality is, is many of us will, uh, you know, assuming, you know, statistics are correct that many of us will be unaffected by this um physically but there you know one firstborn in every household was killed and so how great that loss would have been we see that the effect of that loss was immediate verse 33 the egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste for they said we shall all be dead they saw that that was just a precursor for what was going to happen if all the firstborns done died if we don't let them go we'll all be dead so they recognized clearly the power that god had and so the people took verse 34 their dough before it was leavened their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders and the people of israel had done as moses told them for they had asked the egyptians for silver and gold and for clothing and the lord had given the people favor in the sight of the egyptians so they let them have what they asked thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkah, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt, and they could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time of the people of Israel in Egypt was 430 years, and at the end of 430 years on that day, All the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So the same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And so how did the people respond? The Egyptians responded. Obviously, right, they said, you know, go. Earlier in chapter 11, verse 2, God said, I want you to go and ask the people for gold and silver and clothing. And so they actually asked them beforehand and now they're like, all right, now go take the stuff. Just get out of here. So God even told them to wait and prepare and not even and ask, you know, on their leaving. But they had had been given these things and uh, they were ready to go. He said that he would do that in Exodus chapter three. We looked at that last time and now we've seen that's exactly what they have done. And so how many Israelites left Egypt? Well, we read that 600,000 men left egypt but it says that doesn't include women and children and so some estimates say that there might have been two million people you know that left you can see the whole string of people that are uh you know behind me um two million people that are leaving this nation and so how long do we see that jacob's descendants were in egypt <clears throat> 430 years and so the question is why egypt and why this long I've, I've I've uh, mentioned this before, but does anyone, you know, can anyone answer that question?
1: Until the sin
0: of the Amorites was complete, <laughs> but but not what he what, what was told that before they entered into the Promised Land, that the the sinfulness of the people who lived there was going to get to a point where God would judge them with Israel's. Entrance more or less yeah, well, that would be that would be when they actually finally enter into the promised land, but up to this point they haven't they haven 't sinned yet, and so we see the four hundred thirty years you ask like, well, why that long? you know he promised Abraham six hundred years beforehand, um, you know it took a couple hundred years for Jacob to enter Egypt. so the question is why egypt uh, i've mentioned that before is that Egypt was again one of the most powerful nations at that time. And being slaves of Egypt would have offered protection. They would also have been able to uh, be fruitful and multiply. And Exodus 1 says that, is that they were very fruitful, even to the point that Pharaoh wanted to respond and kill some of the children because they were multiplying um, beyond uh, their expectations. And And we're starting to become a burden. And so, one, it was that safety, but also that time of 430 years to be fruitful and multiply to finally get to a point that now you are a nation and I will send you into this new land and you will have enough uh, people in order to take over that land. And so it's just been given that time and Lord's the Lord's perfect timing in order to protect them and to allow them to flourish. And so the very end of chapter 12, the Lord explains, you know, that the Passover is, is only for the Israelite. Uh, if a foreigner wants to take part, he must be circumcised. And, and again, we see this idea of circumcision being a, a distinguishing mark from the Israelite and the, the pagan. And so, again, as we as we look and I'm just going to kind of briefly go through some things in chapter 13 um, and just to kind of see the repetition of what we see and we'll close it out in just a second. So verse 8 says, you shall tell your son on that day. Again, he says, remember what we've we've been doing. Verse 8, you shall tell your son on that day. It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For the strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute at its appointed time from year to year. Again, this whole celebration of the Passover wasn't just for uh, those that experienced the Passover, but it was for those to keep passing it down and for an instruction point for their children, because God wanted them to remember what they went through and what God did for them to make them into a nation that he had promised to Abraham. And we'll get again to the application for us as well in just a second verse 14 and when the time has come your, your son asks you what does this mean you shall say by a strong hand the lord brought us out of egypt for pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go the lord killed all the firstborn sons in the land both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals therefore i sacrificed to the lord all males that first opened the womb but all the firstborns of my sons i redeem." It shall be a mark on your hand and frontlets and your eyes for a strong hand. The Lord brought us out of Egypt that later on that God would use this idea of not only remembering but perpetuating this idea of sacrificing of the firstborn animals and also redeeming of the firstborn sons. And so it's something that in numbers 18, 16, that, um, the firstborn sons were actually supposed to be kind of, you know, the priestly class, but they rebelled later on. And so that went to the Levites. And so uh, in Numbers 18, 16, we see that now when a firstborn son is is born, then instead of him being kind of the, the one that would go into the, the priestly class, um, that a price was going to be paid. And it was actually a, an amount of money uh, that was to be paid for both the firstborn animals and firstborn sons. Now we see that idea of redemption is still needed for all men. And Jesus paid that redemption price from God's wrath for us. And we see chapter 13 close out that as they're leaving, as they're, they're exiting out of Egypt, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not let, lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their mind when they see war and return. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea, and the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, uh, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones uh, with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud, to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. And so we see this kind of episode exiting that God didn't say, okay, now go. That again, he is still with them. He is the God, Yahweh I am, and that he is with them not only uh, spiritually, but he is there in a physical presence As a pillar of cloud, Um, this idea that I I just kind of think of this long, (laughs) you know, uh, billowy smokestack kind of cloud that's off in the distance um, that moves. We see that it'll move when the cloud moves that the Israelites are to move. Um, But in the daytime, they can see it as a cloud at night. It's fire. This idea of of God is not left them that you could just walk out of your tent and look off in the distance and you could say there is God over there waiting to lead us it's a pretty amazing sight it's also going to be something that is going to be pretty um uh, sobering when we see the rebellion of israel a little bit later on but god hasn't left them and he is guiding them all the way to the promised land and so i'm going to um leave us with a couple things again you can either uh and and i'll uh break you out into groups. You guys need to talk about that. You can either a fellowship, um, but I'll put it in the chat real quick um, and uh, um, leave us with that. And uh, so I'll put those questions up, kind of some application questions, um, especially as we think about our own spiritual journey. Hopefully uh, they all make sense to you. They make sense to me. Um, so, the first question is, <clears throat> what major events prepared us for our spiritual birth? You know, both good and bad. Uh, so we think again, you know, of the plagues. They were something to prepare the hearts, and even something catastrophic. With the the for the Egyptians, they saw it catastrophic for them. For the Israelites, uh, a means of grace for them of having their firstborn sons saved. If we look back on our own spiritual walk, there are probably events in our own lives if we stop and remembered what were those things that led us up to the point of our conversion. And then secondly, how can we remind ourselves of our journey from captivity to freedom, I put on Christ, but in Christ? Um, So uh, for them, they were supposed to have this Passover meal every single year, right, to commemorate something that God had done. Um, it'd be amazing if we had some things in our own lives that reminded us of our journey from captivity to freedom in Christ, right? Where we were in bondage, just as the Israelites were in bondage to Egypt, to our sin, and that now we are free in Christ. Um, and so uh, that's, that's something that is good to, to have as a reminder for us um, uh, as, we, as we continue along. I'm going to, I'm going to pause this there. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for us again. I'll do what I did at the beginning and just kind of break you guys up and you guys can, you know, either discuss this, uh, leave at your own will. If you guys need to move before we break up into the breakout rooms, totally fine. So a time of fellowship or a time of, uh, you know, um, of, uh, discussion. Um, again, I'll leave it up to you, but I kind of wanted to, to allow that time to happen. Um, just like we have, you know, normally in our class. Um, and then I'll ask questions before I break us out. So let me pray. And then, uh, then we'll, we'll do that. Cause I forgot to pray at the beginning. Um, Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for these spiritual truths, um, that are major. There's a lot to go through in these chapters and, uh, we could spend a whole lot more time, but I want us to, again, as we celebrate, um, uh, the Lord's death and resurrection next weekend, um, that uh, we can even see how a lot of these symbols, Lord, that you had um, you know, baked into history uh, with the Israelites, that it had extreme symbolism and meaning for them at that time, but we can even point and see the symbolism for us today. And so I pray, Lord, that um, we will maybe take a, a few moments at some point, either today or uh, along this week, Lord, to reflect upon, Um, your sovereignty over history, your goodness in uh, sparing uh, those that will believe in the blood of Christ, the the perfect Passover lamb, and also to remember, Lord, that there are those that do not have that faith, and Lord, that you will not pass over, and that will be um, destined for your wrath. And so I pray, Lord, that we can understand that and remember that and use that as a tool to light the fire in our own hearts, to share the gospel um, with the world around us. And so, again, thank you for this time. Thank you for uh, this group being here together today to encourage one another. And we just lift you up and celebrate you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, before we go, is, is any any final questions or comments? Don't forget to go to church. (laughs) (laughs) Virtually though. Virtually. Yeah. So don't, don't forget (laughs) that, uh, later today. So it's nice to see all your faces. You too. (laughs) Yeah. And we'll probably, um, take off next week. I know that's kind of typical that we would take off, uh, during Easter, you know, during, uh, the lord's resurrection celebration um and so I think we'll probably just do that again unless I feel convicted midweek and say something else, um, but at least let you know families to do family traditions and things like that, although I know they'll be different, so maybe maybe this is the time that we enact a new tradition um in our own means so uh but I encourage you guys to continue to uh to talking and to to meeting with one another and if you again you ever feel you know hey just want to talk or reach out or even virtually see one another um again let's let's try to make that happen i'd be help, happy to facilitate that happening so